Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I am the Cobra Dentist who hands out toothbrushes to trick-or-treaters, codename <laughs> Legion Cub. Oh, nothing more evil than that. Are you Dr. Mindbender? <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Right. I would like to see a Dr. Mindbender, Isaac Yankum team up. And Molar. And Molar. And, Molar. and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. What what a, an axis of evil that would be. And their their opponents would be the anti-dentites. <laughs> That's a Seinfeld joke. I can't take credit for it. Uh, Seinfeld jokes are good jokes. Uh, all right. So real quick, I wanted to just say, well, first, follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast and on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Uh, but I wanted to thank everybody who came out for our very first live episode that we recorded uh, at Dragon Con over Labor Day weekend that Woo-hoo! was available uh, as that was last month's episode. So go check that out. If you didn't, we had a great live audience. We had a whole lot of fun doing that one and we hope to do uh, more again in the future. So if if you have a convention that you'd like to have Audible Interlude uh, host a panel at, let us know. We'd love to show up unless you're like really far away and won't pay for travel, in which case we probably can't do that. I know that podcasting money is lucrative, but <laughs> we've, we've got to be really smart with our budget. Uh, please check out the Needless Things YouTube channel where I review G.I. Joe stuff all the time. This week, I reviewed the new retro series Grunt and the Cobra Officer. Uh, you can go check those reviews out, the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, real quick, also, everything's real quick. Why am I? Why do I keep saying real quick? It's because I <laughs> feel bad. There's no such thing as quick with Joe News. It's, yeah, it's true. There's so much of it. There, and, and that's what it is, is we do have news points to discuss. So these are little things that I just want to get out of the way so we can talk about the real news. The first item of which... Uh, I have an update from Mr. Bobby Valla about Action Force that I'm going to read to you right now. Uh, I got this email because I I did back uh, a few Action Force figures directly through. uh, It wasn't Kickstarter. It's whatever he moved it to after the Kickstarter failed. Uh, I went ahead and ordered a, a few of the figures. So I got this email update from the desk of Bobby Valla. Hi, David P. West. Hope you are doing all right. At this time, there is no new information to share, but just wanted to send a quick message. Now, he prefaces this with no new information to share, and then he goes on to share new information. Uh, it's, it's basically that the container is loaded up, and they're just waiting to be able to move the, you know, I, don't, I don't know if everybody's aware of this or not, the container issues, uh, you know, Hasbro and, and Mattel and these larger companies have the resources to pay these wildly inflated prices, uh, potentially with bribery involved from what I understand to get their products onto these containers. Cause there's, there's a shortage of cargo containers, which is why a lot of things are being delayed right now. Meanwhile, smaller companies like super seven, uh, NECA, Mezco, even, are struggling and then a startup like action force or valiverse or or whatever the company is uh, obviously is struggling with getting anything done Uh, so it's basically just an update to say 
uh, waiting to get the container loaded up. Hopefully by the end of September, which you know just happened, uh, and. He says, as you've been very patient with this process, I've decided to extend additional thanks. Some of the additional stock has been set aside and will be included in many random orders. Now, I don't know how I feel about some stock and many random orders because Mm. all of us are waiting. And I get it. This guy can't just give away a ton of stuff. Again, he's a startup. Uh, You know, he may have had tons and tons and tons of orders, but he's hoping to perpetuate this line for a long, long time. And he can't just be given stock away. So it's it's fine. Randomly, he's going to throw figures, weapons packs, gear packs, uh, Steel Brigade commander heads, which I guess is some kind of big deal, I'll be honest. Uh, even though I backed a few figures, I don't know everything about this line. Apparently, that's some kind of exclusive thing that happened. Uh, but he says he's going to do everything possible to try and add an extra item to all the orders, which honestly, I think is pretty awesome because he, he's under no obligation to do anything because everybody knows like action force is being bought by collectors. It's not being bought by mom and dad from Walmart. So this is something where probably anybody who invested in this line or any of the figures in this line is aware of the shipping problem. So it would be very easy for him to say, look, everybody's in the same boat or everybody's not on the boat at all (laughs) is the problem. Uh, and just say, I'll let you know when I know something. But he's he is going out of his way to try and make good as best he can as a small independent uh, company. And I, I think that's pretty awesome. So good for him for doing that. So that was our first little order of business. The next one, and one of you guys might be able to fill me in on this a little bit. Probably a year, or so, well, it would be a year or so ago, because that was when I really started diving back into Joe. Uh, I don't know anything about Action Force, the original Action Force. I don't really know much about Red Shadows. Uh, and I certainly didn't know anything about Robo Skull. Oh, the first uh, time, the first time oh. I saw the original Robo Skull, other than what the heck is this? I have to have one and then immediately found out they're like $600 yeah. or something. Then like you that. looked on eBay. Like, right. Oh, how can right. I? Oh. So can, can one or both of you guys explain this robo skull thing to me? Okay. No, fill in the gaps. If I miss something. Um, so action force was the name of the, what, I guess became the GI Joe line over in the UK. Right. So they had the, some of the molds and they had different villains. Um, The villains are totally cool. Their names are escaping me in the moment because I'm so obsessed with the, the robo skull. Baron Um, iron blood. Yeah. yeah, They're they're all pretty bonkers. And like some of the villain figures aren't even articulated like Joe's, right? They're like well, five points of articulation. Yeah, the original the original figures were five points of articulation. They started importing the G.I. Joe molds um, and recoloring them as different characters. So you you imported Destro and you imported Cobra Commander, but you had completely different characters. And in some cases, like Cobra Commander was a trooper uh, in, in the Action Force line. Okay. And they had like, you know, over in the UK, they, they did like... Um, annuals you know it was like a comic book that comes out every so often like action force was was big um 
And so the villains had the Robotank, which is this skull. And I mean, the gimmick on the original toy was it was motorized and it walked, but it was this, you know, this big red skull that was 118th scale. And who who doesn't want to have a giant skull marching down the battlefield? I mean, it's. Uh, I'm I'm trying not to use improper language. Right, right. It's tough <laughs> to describe so it because crazy. it is just that amazing. Um, yeah, the secondary prices on it, secondary market prices on it, are insane. And this has been something even uh, before I got back into GI Joe. Robo Skull is something that that I have have stocked on eBay probably since gosh, like 2010, 2011. And, and prices have always been insane. Yeah. I remember the it. first time seeing and like finding out that this existed was sometime in the nineties. And I don't think it was, I don't think it was in toy fair, but it was some other magazine or something I picked up at a comic shop that had a picture of it. And I was like, that is so cool. And then later on, I found out that it actually was related to GI Joe and a in sort of a way and that's when i was like i gotta get one of these and then yes i did the same thing i had the sticker shock looking on ebay for one <laughs> um and i've actually i've seen them for sale in person at a couple of conventions oh wow i've yeah. never seen one in person they are yeah, i think i think they a couple of the vendors at uh one of the last joe cons um had one wow. or two and i want to say somebody had one at one of the joe fests i went to in the last couple of years but they're they're impressive to look at. They're actually a lot bigger than I originally conceived that they are. Because you look at it, it you, and it kind of looks like a Tie Fighter in a way. Well, with isn't a big it skull in the face? Isn't it a retooled Tie Fighter? Yeah, I think it was a, a retool of one of the original Tie Fighter toys. Oh, I did not know that. It's enormous. I mean, it's a it's a good like I think probably like fourteen inches from wing to wing. Wow. So the reason we're talking about the Robo Skull was because a Minnesota-based toy maker called Skeletron, who you can follow on Instagram. Which is a name from Action Force. It was one of the characters. Okay. Uh, well, they have announced a Robo Skull Kickstarter. Now, and the, the first rumblings of this I heard were a Red Shadows Kickstarter, but it's looking like there's a possibility because Skeletron is teaming up with Marauders for this project, whatever it is. So it's looking like there's a possibility that Skeletron is producing this Robo Skull, and we might be seeing Red Shadows from the Marauders. That would be amazing. That would... And, and ah. what's, <laughs> what's interesting is the timing here, because this means in October... We're going to have Kickstarters for the Marauders Vietnam for the Eagle Force 40th anniversary, which is what they, they're calling the, the new Eagle Force Classics Kickstarter, uh, and for this Robo Skull, whatever this ends up being, which I have to imagine a vehicle of this size from an independent toy manufacturer. We're potentially looking at uh, 250. 300 bucks with the video that they showed and all the moving parts uh i don't know and i might you know i might be aiming high and i I would rather guess high and be pleasantly surprised at a lower price tag 
That's fair. I I was based off of what we've seen. I was thinking around two hundred. Yeah. So your your two fifty to three hundred may actually be more realistic. I, I don't know. It depends on what what they're doing, how it's going to work. Uh, you know, size wise, I got to imagine it's going to be at least as big as the original. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. But I mean, this is all they they have picked up these licenses, copyrights, however you want to phrase it, uh, and and are going ahead with this thing. And the what has impressed me is the style of the campaign thus far. Uh, these like retro line, they almost look like the Star Wars arcade game, the way they've done the line graphics for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely recommend everybody go to the Skeletron account, uh, official Skeletron on Instagram, and check out this little hype video that they've got up now. Very cool. So you guys, we we discussed at Dragon Con, we talked about the uh, Cobra Fortress that is being produced by an independent toy toy maker who has done other things of that nature. Mm-hmm. With things like this, now now technically, I guess this Robo Skull is going to be officially licensed, but with the price tag attached you know as much as we all want one what what is your threshold do you think or what do you need to know before investing i don't know if i could spend you know if it, if it comes in at 200 it, it it'll it'll be tempting if if it's as like if it looks to me like it's going to be as nice as one of the hasbro pulse vehicles that's going to be really tempting for me I think what fills me with confidence is that they are teamed up with Marauder Task Force and every product I've gotten from them, the plastic quality is better than some of the figures I'm getting from the big retailers or big toy companies. So I, I am making an assumption here, but my assumption is if it's, Somewhere between two to three hundred dollars. Um, I know it's something that's gonna last, and it's still it, gonna be cheaper than getting one of the originals. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I mean, hopefully not. I, you know, watching some of the stuff that using Hasbro Pulse as an example, um, when you look at the Galactus and you think, you know, you could shave a hundred bucks off by taking out all the electronics that how many adult collectors really care because they're, you know, at least the ones that I know, most people take the batteries out of stuff. Right. So they don't worry about corrosion. So uh, moving parts and stuff like that, when you're doing an adult collector line, how important is it versus cost? Uh, You know, it's, it's worth paying attention to, I guess. I guess for me, this too would be, I, I would probably be more interested if it, if it was in, looked a little bit more like the original Robo Skull. It is like the Mark II Robo Skull, and it's a, it's a very different design than the original. And I think it's a little bit too far for me to want it for any kind of nostalgia or special purpose like that, it, depending on the price. If it's a, if it's a nice, you know, if it's a nice, solid, low, affordable price, maybe I'll jump on one. But I'll have to I'll have to see how that unfolds. 
Yeah, I think it is going to be a matter of just like, how badly do you want a rad flying skull machine? Like, <laughs> I mean, really, I do, but it's hard, it's hard not to want a red flying skull. But <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so our next point of interest for our intro here, Noel has opened his classified series figures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been just, I've been retooling my, my Joe shelves uh put in some ikea billy bookshelves uh a couple months back and initially i was like i'm gonna do joe's on one side and transformers on the other and then the joe's just expanded and i was like all right transformers are going over here and joe's are gonna take up all three of these (laughs) so uh yeah i i finally opened up and they occupy one of the shelves um i only own cobra figures at this point um oh wow and really all that i all that i want like everything they've released thus far that I really want, I have with the exception of maybe a better Cobra commander figure. I'm not going to shell out probably for the snake Supreme figure um, because I've got the the standard issue one and he's fine as a stand in. But I mean, other than that, it's, it's basically Destro Baroness, uh, major blood, Zartan, couple troopers, couple of vipers. I'll get a couple more troop builders. Maybe if I, you know, if I see them out somewhere, Passed on the Firefly, don't really care for him. Um, and then as far as Joe figures go, um, I just haven't really had any interest in them. Like there's a, the, the Flint and Lady J um, friend of mine picked those up for me a couple months ago. So I'll, I'll eventually have those in my possession. But other than those two, there's not any that I'm really that excited about. But like, no, they're great figures. Um, like I said I opened the Cobra Commander figure a while back. And so he's been. He's been out on display for a little while, but I thought he needed some backup on the shelf. And uh, I, I sent that photo. So I don't know if you've got a chance, if you want to post that on Instagram, um, you know, my little my little collection layout there. Yeah, yeah. We'll but, put uh, that up, definitely. Yeah, nice little display pieces. I was happy to get the, uh, the, the Baroness. And I don't know if I told you guys I had a little bit of a nightmare with trying to get delivered to my house because of the way that Target, uh, if, if you... Uh, if you have your credit card reissued because the number got swiped at a skimmer, yeah, they will cancel your pre-orders without warning. So that happened to me. And uh, I wound up um, getting the, the, was it the breaker that I had initially ordered canceled because of it. And that's fine. Like I said, I'm not really collecting Joe's. I just got it because I was like, well, I can get the breaker on while it's still available. Um, But the, baroness and the viper figure i when i went and looked i saw that for some reason target defaulted to my old address that i haven't lived at in two and a half years so i was like oh let me go update that on the website oh they wouldn't gosh. let me change they wouldn't let me change the address all i could do was either cancel the order or just take a chance that i could intercept the package once it got shipped so fedex wouldn't uh fedex wouldn't do it because they were they were sending it via usps usps would not change the address thankfully i was able to get in touch with the people who now own the home that i used to live in and they were able to get them to me but only after i asked target to cancel those orders because i didn't receive the items because they got delivered to another home so two weeks later they were like hey some packages got delivered for you would you like them i said sure i'll take them (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um I might have gotten a Baroness and a Viper for free in the long run because of that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. 
but you know, I tried, I tried, I tried to make it right. Yeah. Target's, um, uh, target system is, is a little archaic and not, it's, it's just not the best. No. And I, I even had a barbecue that was up for pre-order in, you know, that was, was supposed to be shipped in November and this was July. And they told me they could not change the address on it because it was already prepared for shipping. I was like, you don't even have that thing in your hand yet. There's no way it's prepared for shipping. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so wow. I can't, I canceled the barbecue. It's like, I don't really need barbecue that bad. Well, hopefully these will be a little better to find. Although I will, I hadn't even thought about talking about this, but as a little update, you know, the, the Viper beachhead, basically all of the Cobra Island stuff thus far has over the past couple of months come in and out of stock in and out of availability on Target's website pretty regularly. Like at this point, if you wanted that stuff, you should have been able to get it. Uh, I ordered an extra Viper. Although at this point I have decided that classified series is going to be one of each for me. I'm not true building anything anymore. Uh, I just want one of each figure and that's going to be good enough or not, not even one of each. If there's a figure I straight up don't like, I'm not going to get it. Uh, but yeah, you know, I say that, but I own that firefly. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, classified <laughs> Raptor. <laughs> I would buy um, that in a heartbeat, <laughs> but I have not seen anything in stores. And I was under the impression that stores were going to be stocked back up on Cobra Island. And that has not been the case at all. They're stocked on Flint, Lady J, and Cobra Commander. Yep. Uh, and I have seen the movie figures often enough to feel like they're out there and available. I, uh, yeah, I'm seeing those more and more, especially at Walmarts. Yeah, I've, I've seen them at Walmart and at Target. Uh, but the the Cobra Island, the big Cobra Island restock that people sort of thought was happening uh, has not really happened. But like I said, if you're paying attention online, you should have been able to get whatever you needed. But the retro figures at Walmart have certainly seen an uptick in availability because yes. I, I can't go into a Walmart without seeing a whole uh, a whole bunch of pegs of the grunt. Um, the grunt, the stalker, the cobra trooper, and officer. Yeah, um, just well, those, of those of us in, the pegs. in Orlando are still incredibly <laughs> jealous of those of you in Georgia because Man. it is still a barren desert here. Yeah. You see the pegs. Uh, I even see the the tag on the shelf for the hiss. Oh, and, we're lousy with his and, threes. Nope. Yeah, the, the hiss is like, I can't, I can't walk into a Walmart without tripping over a stack of hisses at this point in time. Yeah, it's crazy. And as I mentioned, I know that uh, we've had some different, different opinions on the hiss, but I, as I told you guys, I'm in love with the hiss three. Um, I love those those uh, weathered treads, and I like the nice, like almost royal blue uh, body of the hiss. So I'm, I'm hoping that that pile and pile of hiss that i see at every single walmart means that they're going to go on deep clearance now be able to get like a, a stack of them for five bucks a piece here in a few months <laughs> well i will uh i will trade you some dirty treads for some clean treads said uh, i'm i'm all on that i'll put some dirty treads on a black hiss <laughs> and, i uh, i am not a fan of the dirty treads at all but after seeing your picture of the the toy itself i love the royal blue because i've mm -hmm. got the original history 
and it's a much much darker blue uh so i i definitely want one of these but i want some clean treads and as, I, and as I mentioned too, like the thing that really stands out with the treads is with the original Hiss, because the entire thing is black, the treads look, I mean, they just kind of blend into that center piece, yeah. which is just yeah. there because they wanted to make a cheap figure that they could sell for like seven ninety nine back in 1984 uh, or 83, whenever it first came out. But it's it, it puts a lot more contrast. So now... You actually see treads, especially when you're looking at it head on. You can actually see the treads and differentiate that from that center part. So now it just looks like it's like a you know big metal platform in the middle of the vehicle uh, that serves a purpose rather than just being there so that they could mold one piece with with uh, fake treads on it. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, real quick heavy artillery roadblock. Real quick, there it is again. But but again, this is just something to note. <laughs> Uh, heavy artillery roadblock has been shipping. I know a lot of people still don't have him, but he's out there and you can see the review. Guess where the needless things, YouTube channel. Ding. Uh, Christian, you found some recently breaking news. Why don't you hit, hit us with that? Yes. So it looks like wizards of the coast who, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering fame have put out a job listing that uh, pretty much tells us we're getting a big budget G.I. Joe video game. Um, they are looking for an art director, lead animator, lead game designer and technical director. And the description says that they will be working on a multi-platform action adventure video game set in the G.I. Joe universe. Um, the lead animator position actually lets us know in its description says that uh, the game will utilize a third person perspective. So much like our, um, oh my gosh, my mind went blank. Our G.I. Joe, the one- Operation Blackout. Operation Blackout, thank you. Wow, sorry listeners. <laughs> um so yeah so the uh from what i've read online it looks like the studio that's heading it up is full of a bunch of veterans from wb games um so some exciting news there we don't know anything else because obviously the game has not been created um well they've got some concept art Oh, I didn't that see that. Shared, don't they? Um, his tank, his tank had an article about this as well. Okay, everything that I saw <clears throat> online just had either the GI Joe logo attached or um, the cover of the DVD. Let's see if I can find this and send it to you guys real quick. But if if it is the same thing, which I, I would imagine it is, uh. Oh, there's another picture of that Robo Skull. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, details on the upcoming AAA G.I. Joe console game by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and it's it's got some art attached. Now, who knows if this art is actually part of this game or not, but they're two different images and they're pretty intriguing. They look similar to Blackout as far as design goes, but 
but there's a scarlet who's much closer to her traditional colors. Uh, and then snake eyes with a really crazy visor and a cybernetic leg. Hmm. And they are fighting what appears to be a transforming his tank with giant, like ATST legs. Interesting. I'm looking at a piece now. It's also hmm. worth noting that in the second picture that I'm looking at, it looks like Scarlet is on the Cobra coil, but it's recolored. Hmm. But again, this art, they're not specifying where this art came from. It's just sort of attached to the article. Right. But it's not Operation Blackout art. Um, so I'm not sure if this is just to promote the game or what. And also, I'm looking at it, and it almost looks first person because the view in the first image has a gun really close up to the viewer. I don't know. This is wild. It, it, it might yeah. just be concept art. It might not have anything to do with what the game... Uh, you know, these could be game designs, but it might not have to do with the playability of the game. It could have been created is, just to sell them on. Right. It is confirmed to be a third person game. Yes. So. And that's important yeah. because I I am not. I, I know there's a huge contingent uh, of, of Joe fans that love first person shooters. Uh, I am not part of that contingent. Give me a nice uh, Uncharted style game and I'll, I'll be good to go. Uh, but yeah, very exciting because really the bottom line, as we always like to say, is it'll be more G.I. Joe out in the world. And that's a good thing. Uh, Ultimate Sergeant Slaughter from Mattel, part of their WWE Ultimate line. I thought it was going to be here today. Well, I thought it was going to be here Saturday. And then I thought yesterday. And then I thought today and uh, not here yet. So I, I was hoping to be able to at least talk a little bit about it on the show but that hasn't worked out. And uh, if it gets here before the end of the week, I might put a review up on the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, if not, we'll just be talking about it in November. And finally, another bit of recent news that you guys happened across. I think, Noel, you found this one. Tell yep. us about what, what the heck is going on at Paramount. So uh, Paramount picked pictures um emma watts not to be confused with emma watson uh resigned from her position um it, there's a big shakeup at the top of paramount pictures she was the one who kind of helped to bring the studio back to life after it kind of crashed and burned in 2017 and she's been the one who's been the overseer of the transformers and gi joe live action movie franchises so helped to make snake eyes and bumblebee realities uh, here in the last few years. Um, what I did not realize is the reason why all this happened is because Eric from Head of the Class became the new CEO of Paramount Pictures. If what? You what? Brian Robbins. I have not seen this news. Yes, Brian Robbins is the one who came in and apparently that's what kind of caused the whole shakeup. Um, Jim Giannopoulos was the previous CEO and he was replaced by Brian Robbins. 
Um, I had to make sure that it was the same Brian Robbins, but yes, it is the one that uh, was in like Good Burger and uh, head of the class back wow. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, they've already, yeah, it's already listed. With, uh, first thing when you uh, pull him up on Google, current chairman and CEO of Paramount. Oh my gosh. So uh, Mike Ireland and Daria Sersek uh, have succeeded Emma Watts um, as the, uh, as the uh, Paramount uh, Motion Picture Group co-presidents so we'll see what happens with that obviously the biggest thing that was coming out of that was the transformers rise of the beast movie the new um the transformers live action movie with the beast wars influence uh, the, they were the also one working... that's not a sequel to the excellent bumblebee right right uh sonic the hedgehog hog 2 dungeons and dragons movies were all in the work so all that's yes kind of up in the air we'll see what happens with all this too um, I guess there's also some of the Star Trek franchises involved with this as well with Paramount. So right. we'll see what happens with G.I. Joe. Obviously, Snake Eyes, as much as we enjoyed it, not a huge box office success. Um, a lot not, of factors Not even on that. by pandemic standards. No, no. So um, whether or not we're going to see more live action G.I. Joe movies has kind of been something I've been wondering about for, for a while as well. But, you know, we'll see if they take a chance with it with somebody new in that position. Now, keep what my about fingers crossed for the Lady J series? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Do... If we can get good television, I'll I'll take that over movies for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't see anything whether or not this actually impacts any of their television um, products, okay, or whether or not this is just the motion picture industry, like theatrical film films. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Obviously, you know, more G.I. Joe projects are great. But like Christian said, I'm at a point where if they're delivering good stuff to me on TV, I don't need to set foot in a movie theater. Yeah, I, I think G.I. Joe would work better as a, as a serialized action series mm -hmm. than it would as a single standalone movie. I agree. I agree. Unless yeah. it's going to be a single standalone horror movie, which we'll get to <laughs> in just a few minutes here. I think that's all we've got for the intro, and it is time now to move on to our review. Joe fans it's the spooky season so that means we had to find something creepy and maybe even a little kooky to review for October and I chose from March of 2011 IDW's G.I. Joe infestation which is part of a crossover that started with the core infestation comic and spread out through four different IDW licensed titles uh, G.I. Joe Star Trek, Transformers, and Ghostbusters. This was 10 years ago. And at the time, I wasn't the only thing I was buying sort of regularly was G.I. Joe. Uh, but the idea with this, obviously, is IDW wants to, you know, if you're reading G.I. Joe, oh, well, I'll check out this infestation thing since it's going to tie into a G.I. Joe comic. And then you read the infestation thing and you're like, well, now I want to check out Star Trek, Transformers, and Ghostbusters. And hopefully, they, they will hook you in to buying these other titles. Clearly forgetting what brought down the comics industry in the yeah, 1990s. Right, right. <laughs> Crossovers are evil, uh, except for when they're not. Because 
you know, the, there are crossovers that are great. And the intent, again, is, is always to get you to buy more comic books. Uh, but with this one, back when it came out, I bought everything. I have mm. not read it since it came out, aside from these two G.I. Joe issues, because it was important to me to read this as a G.I. Joe fan who was only going to get this portion of the story. So I kind of vaguely remembered the setup infestation comic, but not really. And that's what I wanted here because I wanted to read these as just GI Joe comics uh, because the idea was that Ghostbusters, Transformers, Star Trek, GI Joe would each work independently, whether or not you read anything else from the infestation crossover. So I'm curious with you guys, I'm assuming you guys didn't read this back in the day. I know. I was reading Transformers back in the day. So the Transformers infestation, I did read. Now, when we decided to do this, um, I wanted to do the same thing that you just said. I, I didn't want any of the other story to influence how I read this. Yeah. Um, and I have thoughts about that that we'll get into. <laughs> and, and As do I, because... I remembered it as being very successful and enjoying it. But like I said, I read everything uh, this time around. I, I think it, I think it worked for what it was. Uh, the GI Joe issues written by Mike Racked, uh, pencils by Giovanni Timpano, letters by Chris Mowry, colors by Jay Brown uh, and edited by Andy Schmidt. And our little synopsis here to open, open us up is, and, and, strap into your seats because it's getting a little kooky in a different dimension. A zombie hive mind takes over the body of a covert vampiric soldier codenamed Brit aiming to spread the zombie apocalypse to all dimensions using magically enhanced technology. Brit is able to open portals to four different dimensions before she is stopped. To what extent and in what form the infestation has spread to these four dimensions remains to be seen. And that's where our G.I. Joe story starts. Uh, <laughs> the first thing that I noticed reading the first issue is as we're introduced to, the, to sort of our primary characters, and this is a very self-contained story, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, nobody signed up for whatever it is they're doing in the story. Yeah, there's a lot of complaining going on. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sign up for this is like the tagline of infestation. But going into it, first of all, because oh, the first wait, thing you see. Back up. Yes. Real quickly, I just want to point out to all the listeners, if you haven't read this, if you're looking this up online right now, the cover to issue one um, has great homages to all the various uh air, like there's a zombified gi joe from the original gi joe package yeah yeah the yelling face the the zombie red eel is baroness so i just want to wanted to point out that cover is full of easter eggs yeah, that's the that's the cover i've got i got the very oh. cover with baroness on it oh i'm basic your no, your cover is better though. Back in the day, I'm sure I was just like, "Oh, look, it's Baroness. I'm going to buy that one." And I got you, I, I got it digital, so I'm looking at uh, both covers. So nice. You know. That was the way to do it. Uh, but 
when you're looking at a comic, first thing you see is the artwork. And, uh, it, you know, it's stylized, but I dug the artwork. I found it to be consistent. I felt like it represented uh, everything that was G.I. Joe in the comic. It represented it well. It fits the mood of the story. There were only a couple of panels of artwork where I was like, ooh, I don't know if that's the penciler or the inker, but not so good. But for the most part, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the art. And as far yeah. as the actual storytelling, the flow of the panels, I didn't get confused at any point. Everything mm -hmm. made sense as mm -hmm. to what was happening in what sequence. Noel, did you have a thought? No, no, I just was agreeing with you on the, uh, the especially the art, because it's everything's in kind of subtle, like blues and purples and, and more muted reds. But it's not too, like it's never anything that's too dark that you can't really tell what's going on um and i think it's just it was just the right amount of atmosphere yeah it it used a lot of heavy shadows yep but not enough that it's it's obscuring what you need to see which i really appreciated well and it helped it helped establish the setting and the tone because like most many of my favorite horror stories take place deep beneath the sea i love stuff like deep star six and leviathan like i love that stuff so this one right out of the gate hooks me in because it takes place at a cobra station that is deep under sea and i feel like these more uh, subdued tones with the heavy shadows really help establish that dark claustrophobic setting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so the joe we open up with the joes uh on a sailboat no power whatsoever out in the middle of the ocean transporting this zombified cybernetic infected arm now let's keep in mind when they say joe's we mean we have one gi joe <laughs> yeah, character right. we've heard of right well, and two wait. at least two that are going to be or three that are going to be cannon fodder dolphin <laughs> and hound. hound but having when i was like why am i not recognizing all these names when I did a deep dive, Dolphin actually is a fun school character, which oh, we'll wow. play into later in the episode. Um, <laughs> they are gender swapped. Okay. For this story. But, but Dolphin was a fun school character that did eventually get, I believe it was a collector's club edition yeah, made of yeah. them. That makes sense. But, uh, but still, yeah, 100% cannon fodder. These, yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we've got to establish the stakes. So we've got two Joes to kill, leaving Psych out, which is a cool choice, I think, for this story. Yeah. Uh, behind. So Psych out gets captured by Cobra. Uh, they want to know what's up with this crazy arm. And at the same time in this facility one of the major things that's going on and I, I love this little bit of uh i guess continuity within the canon is they're trying to get the batch they're trying to fix their friend or foe recognition software which is straight out of the batch file card that you put them on the bat and we've talked about this before you put them on the battlefield and they're just as likely to shoot cobra troops as they are gi joes and that's what they're working on in this in this laboratory, this project is trying to get the batch programming fixed. I love that. 
And of that, course, they play into the story as well with this being somehow a zombie techno organic virus. And that so, was well, that was one thing because I, you guys had both read this in the past. This was my first ever reading of this particular uh, this issue or like any of the infestation stuff from this time. I was going into this thinking this was going to be some you know supernatural kind of zombie story and obviously it's not it's you know it's it's more of a it's almost a borg type story yeah uh, as we get into it so i i actually enjoyed that because i like i like zombies but i've never been a huge fan of zombies in gi joe so i was i was happy with a more sci-fi take on it well and they found an angle that makes it work with transformers star trek and gi joe mm-hmm. ghostbusters I I can't remember the Ghostbusters ones at all. Uh, so I'm curious to go back because I've got them in there. I'm curious to go back and read and see how exactly this fits into that reality. Now, I, I will say my only gripe about the art is I think the design for the bats is lazy 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 i feel I, like that's I, what they looked like at the time though wasn't it uh well i mean they, like they look like all. just kind of prototypes because to me these aren't these aren't the finished this is the skeleton of the bat essentially you you haven't slapped all of its armaments and it's you haven't I put mean, its clothes it's naked yeah the bat the bat wears yeah clothes. but at least um, almost every single bat figure you 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 know their chest you see the mechanics that are working right, inside right these look like blank mannequin bodies with some wires. So I kind of wish that it was just, uh, especially if they were prototypes, I, I, I wish they had been a little bit more um, clunky robot looking and not so much, you know, Doctor Who automaton. <laughs> or like I am robot or what? I am robot. Yeah. I am robot. Yeah. Or it, I robot. I robot. Uh, but yeah, if you're telling they're... me Alan Tudyk is one of these bats, then okay, I'm back <laughs> on board. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a little indistinct. Although I think maybe they were trying to go for making them creepy looking, right? By giving them that sort of mannequin like aspect. Yeah, I mean, I got the I got the iRobot Will Smith uh, vibe from them. Uh, so we have this was a creepy revelation to me. So we have this doctor, uh, Doctor Zitch who is working on this bat uh, problem and she's disabled and she straight up just plugs this thing into her back at one point. And I'm, I'm creeped out by body horror stuff. Uh, one of the most disturbing images from my youth is from Superman three when the lady gets sucked into the big machine and it starts turning her into mm-hmm. a cyborg that's to this day still <laughs> freaks me out. And that basically happens in this story to this lady. And it's horrifying to me. But anytime you have a secret agenda, you're going to be the one to pay the price. I, well, I, got I was waiting. I was waiting for it. <laughs> I got I got some serious. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever read the Transformers comic in the '80s, but if you remember the character of Josie Beller, yes, a a circuit breaker. I got some serious circuit breaker vibes, which led me down a rabbit hole of researching circuit breaker and why you haven't seen her in Transformers in 30 years. And it's because they can't 
use her because Marvel owns Marvel. that character and not Hasbro. And I was like, oh, oh interesting. That makes yeah, sense. They had her appear in Secret Wars 2 in one panel before her first appearance in Transformers so that yep. they could own the rights to her. It was brilliant. Yeah. But but wow. yes, I totally got those vibes too because I, you know, it having, it having been 10 years, there wasn't much of the story that I remembered. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I was yeah, thinking, I oh, we're going that route. I can't say reading this was like completely fresh because things did like ring a bell as I went through. I was like, oh, that's right. I remember this happening. Or I remember that. Uh, but but it was it was it was definitely compelling and interesting enough to keep me going. I didn't at no point did I get to to a spot and think. Oh, I remember this. This is where it goes bad or goes wrong. It it's it's all solid. It's a good story, and I think it's greatly assisted by the fact that it's only two issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a compact story, uh, and, and now, also while, while the doctor is going, while we're getting all that doctor story and her um, getting her comeuppance, um, we have Baroness interrogating Psycho, and I really was digging that scene because of course Cobra wants this arm because G.I. Joe wants the arm and Baroness is is you know basically saying like what's the deal with the arm why do you want it and even though Psycout is being 100% truthful as far as like we don't know but this is bad news you you don't want to mess with this which which is actually my go go ahead. ahead And I was gonna say, my, it's my only problem with the continuity on this, and I had to go back and look at it. Is she asks Psych out what this is, and then they cut away, and now the doctor has the arm, and then Psych out's telling her why it's bad. And I'm like, why didn't you explain that before she went and hooked it up to 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 the system? Because Cobra hates Joe so much, they can't. They refuse to believe. Like I, I cannot. Like I'm reading this and I was going, what does she want him to say? Because he's sitting here saying, no, like it's, it's bad. It's bad news. And she's like, no, bad, bad for you, bad for us. What what does that even mean? No, we're, we want it. We're going to, we're going to figure it out. We're going to use it. And I'm like, but, but do you want him to say it's good? (laughs) Like, like, I, I, what psychology. could Joe possibly, what could G, the G.I. Joe team possibly say to make Cobra go, oh, yeah, this is really bad. Let's not mess with it. So, of course, Dr. Zitch, fooling around with the arm, plugs it into the systems uh, that control the base, that, well, everything's connected, and gets taken over by this sentient virus thing. And decides, well, it's time to lock this base down, kill all these people, and then summon other people so we can infect the entire planet with our evil virus. And the shots of her with her glowing red eyes rolled back into her head. I say shots, the panels. So creepy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's some of the most effective artwork is once once the poop really starts hitting the fan, I feel like the artist's kick it into high gear because we get some really disturbing imagery uh all of the animals 
with their cybernetics going after the Vipers. We get some gore, which is not something that you see in a whole lot of G.I. Joe comics necessarily. Uh, I love the Viper designs in this, by the way. I mean, they're very, very traditional Viper designs, uh, but they do have long sleeves. One of my pet peeves about the Vipers are the short sleeves. I, I just, it just looks weird to me. <laughs> uh, but once the pacing in this honestly is really good because there's not a once it gets going because from the start it's it's action packed and the plot moves along and again part of that i guess because they only had two issues to tell this story well we get to build two where you have part of this underwater base that this is already unleashed and and we already have some bats that are shooting at things and we already have these animals that are now possessed by this uh, computer virus that are that are wreaking havoc in one part of it and Baroness and Psychout don't yet know that things are actually, that, right, that right. stuff's going down yet. Yeah. So it, it builds up and that's really the end of the first issue is right when they're starting to get into the thick of things. Yeah, we've got Baroness and her Interrogator which by the way, we haven't mentioned Interrogator yet. I don't, I don't know if he's the, if he's Interrogator from G.I. Joe proper or if he's just a character they're calling interrogator well, they, i don't yeah i don't know because that she addresses him as interrogator the hasbro so, wiki when i was looking for characters uh, they count him as the figure okay that and that's what i thought and that's idw would take some liberties with redesigning characters you know some stuff like the vipers they were pretty true to form but sometimes they would take liberties like i almost wonder if dr mitchell is supposed to be raptor in some weird way i, yes. I thought the same thing yeah. yes because he's got it, this bird pal well and they call out raptor at one point yes. in time and i could i think tell... he's calling the bird raptor. he's calling the bird that but but yeah. still it's it's a little little reference uh, so going into issue two, the the bats are loose, the animals are loose, attacking everybody. Uh, the bats and the, base, and the bats. Yes, the literal literal bats are also <laughs> loose, uh, and things are looking pretty rough. And I got to say, yes, this bat design isn't really what I want a bat to look like, but seeing them the way that they move around through the corridors, uh, and again, this is a very kinetic artwork. Like you can. Uh, you can picture, I guess, between the panels happening very easily. Uh, they are they are creepy. It wouldn't be, I mean, I, I certainly in this instance, if these were completely traditional, like yellow and black or orange and black bats, I don't think these scenes would be as creepy. Possibly. This, I guess, I think the artwork, like, if you look at these as storyboards for an episode or a movie, Again, I think it's great. Yeah. Just a design aspect, but the the maybe even if they had just gone with like a completely blank base without the tiny little eyes. I don't know. It's it's just lacking something for well, me. None of it matters because Dr. Zitch gets creepier and creepier in every panel. That is true. In My two guess, at this point. Right. So, uh, yeah. Well, and that's what it is, is all the circuitry and wiring and bedding itself in her. I can't tolerate that stuff. Another <laughs> another horrifyingly creepy thing to me, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, most disturbing movie yeah. I've ever seen. I I can't even think about it without wanting to take a shower. It, it's, it, it 
shook me to my core. Mm. It's so horrifying. I never want to see it again. Uh, horrifying. It's that kind of stuff just ugh, bothers me. Can't deal with it. Uh, all right. So uh, shockingly, this goes along like any horror movie or old school Doctor Who episode, basically. Only there's no doctor here to save everybody, so they all die. Uh, well, not not they all. We do we, we do have a couple of survivors, uh, but the base is flooding. The bats are going crazy. Everything looks hopeless and dire. And then they figure out that the bats do have uh, threat level detection programming. I guess where if somebody's not armed, they're seen as less of a threat. So we get, uh, who is it? Interrogator and psych out. Go in to attack Dr. Zitch. Or no, I'm sorry, Dr. Mitchell and psych out. Go in uh, to try and disconnect Dr. Zitch from the system. And she is full on like, Borg queen. Borg was a very good way to put it. Borg queened <laughs> yep. out. Uh, just horrifyingly gross. With the zombie arm. With the zombie, With the arm, zombie now arm now attached. So at some point she removed her own arm and attached the zombie arm to herself, which is a whole other level of horrifying. Uh, the bats get in, start shooting everything up. Psych out dies. Yeah, just, like, sacrifices himself, essentially. Yes. Which uh, is kind of anticlimactic in a way, because you're, you know, he's going in there as the hero, and then, like, it's not even, like, you know, the last panel. No, it's no. Just, like, mm -hmm. he just electrifies himself against this borged-up doctor, and his body's just laying in the water. Yep, just laying there. Uh it's in a weird way. Well, not even in a weird way. Baroness is really the main character of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I was know, thinking we... that earlier. It She, throughout the entire story, you see just how self-serving yes. the Baroness is. Because even when, um, when the crap is hitting the fan and she unties Psych out and he's like, hey, I don't have a weapon i'm gonna need one and she's like no we're out like i'm not even gonna try there's dead soldiers all around but nope you're on your own just don't die well like, right at the beginning uh, of the book uh the eel mm -hmm. the one eel that she just cuts his air hose while the uh water compartment's filling up that Which dude that, straight up dies so yep. that's something else that that ties issue one and two is is so yeah so you have that scene where she cuts his air hose and then you have these great shots or again panels that the artist did letting you know okay here's some you know an area underwater that has flooded here's all the dead things floating it right like here's the eel drowning and then once you once the crap starts hitting the fan every so often he throws in these panels where you can see okay this level is now all flooded yeah, yeah. and here's just like body parts bat parts you know the bats are are robots so they're heavy enough like they're still standing even though they're completely like that's, surrounded that's by water, the one but, i'm looking at right now all, yeah. the, all of the deactivated bats underwater yeah. just standing there and i that that's another part that uh, to this that i thought oh wow that definitely sets that creepy 
creepy vibe because it's this is a tomb there there is no escape and if this had been a film there would have been a scene because they they would have had a timer on how long the bats were deactivated so there would have been a scene where they had to swim through the deactivated Mm. bats (laughs) waiting for one of them to reach out and grab them or something well in that same in that same panel too the arm is just there in the foreground just sunk to yeah. the bottom leaving it open for this thing is still out there somewhere yeah yeah and there is an infestation too shockingly ah. because this did very well as a concept uh so we get to the end of the comic uh baroness and two vipers are survivors until baroness kills one of the vipers so she'll have more oxygen for her escape so yeah you book you book in you book in the the story with baroness just killing a trooper yeah on the joe boat you can be whiny and you can be it's my day off why am i here all you want around the baroness if you notice the eel is whiny she cuts his air hose yeah the viper is whiny i'm putting a bullet through your head like baroness it is is femme boss i am not playing around (laughs) Uh, so going back and revisiting this, I found it to be a lot of fun. I thought it was perfect for what we we're doing this month. And uh, I, th- I think it, while a lot of what IDW has done over the years with GI Joe, I, I have not been a big fan of uh, this. I, I liked, I, I thought it was a cool way to incorporate Joe into sort of a grander scheme for their publishing plan. Uh it, it read well and again just two issues so you zoom right through them and get a nice creepy little story that feels appropriately gi joe i do mm-hmm. think it's odd that they released this in like february and march of yeah, 2011 right? instead of around halloween yeah yeah very very strange timing and i if i i can't remember completely but I feel like there actually was a reason for that at the time. I, I do not remember what it was. I want to say that might, for whatever reason, be almost like some kind of comic book sweeps month or something where comic publishers are trying to do big things at that time of year. If that's a thing, uh, listeners, hit us up on Twitter uh, I know from working at comic shops that the fall is usually considered a slow time because of back to school and all of that. So you might be onto something. I, I feel like that time of year, there's there's usually some kind of initiative from the different publishers to try and get attention. I, I well, most most of the big crossovers from the big two always happen during summer. Yeah. So if they wanted this to be noticed, putting it out in the spring right before would be right uh so final thoughts you guys no i i enjoyed reading this for the first time like i said it was a bit of a departure it was um not what i was expecting it to be when you first gave us this assignment so uh yeah i i said uh i would i would definitely put this in the in the a joe uh, uh comic book territory yeah, if you did not know that it was part of a larger crossover, it, it it's these two issues could fit mm-hmm. in in any publishing schedule of GI Joe. There there is nothing 
that makes you feel like you are missing out on the story. Um, so yeah, I definitely give it an A plus. I, I highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah, these these could have very easily been like a couple of filler issues between you know five issue arcs that they mm -hmm. they you know do in regular comic publishing. Uh, all right, well that was our review. It is time to move on to our next segment. We're going to keep this spooky theme going with a new segment I'm creatively calling Special Mission Halloween. In this segment, each of us will choose one vehicle and up to six characters to either handle a spooky mission for the Joes or execute scare tactics for Cobra. Uh, I am going to kick it off because I have a feeling we're going to need to save Noel for last on this one. <laughs> it sounds like he put the most effort into this. Uh, in my head, this was just a matter of what's a vehicle that you could apply to either being kind of a, you know, monster hunter, alien fighter vehicle for the Joes or something that's a little spooky for the Cobras uh, and which troops would go along with it. And I, I went, through a lot of different things because there's so many different possibilities here but the one i settled on that's my favorite uh i talked before about how body horror stuff and cybernetics freaked me out but another thing that freaks me out is aliens i cannot tolerate <laughs> alien stuff and i'm not talking about like aliens like the giger type stuff i'm talking about the creepy gray uh invaders from another dimension slash planet aliens so i have chosen from 1989 which is a little past my time but it's what i had in my head that i wasn't even sure it was a real thing like i had a picture of this vehicle in my head i had to go look it up the cobra condor z25 which is a really weird looking vehicle uh could very easily pass for an alien craft especially when you split it into the front and rear fuselage parts. But the important thing about this, it's got a front cockpit and a rear cockpit, and it has a payload of bombs. There's seven bombs in each wing, and then there are bombs in the undercarriage. So I'm going to have the Cobra Condor Z25, the pilot, the Aero Viper, he's going to handle the front end. In the back, we're going to have Dr. Mindbender, who is administering these bombs full of his uh, hallucinogenic fear gas. Think Scarecrow from Batman. So they're going to be in this weird alien-looking craft flying over some small town in the middle of nowhere because we all know how Cobra likes to terrify small towns for no good reason. They're going to drop these fear gas bombs on the town and then four Targats are going to swoop in with their jetpacks looking like aliens and just start running around causing chaos amongst the countryside, destroy all human style. <laughs> and this is going to be Cobra's operation of terror around Halloween for, because that's when the cartoon would have had to take place. Uh, but the targets 
really again really weird alien looking designs especially without the big blue helmet i think they actually look creeper creepier without or i'm sorry the faceplate um that golden helmet on the front really weird looking they've got some kind of space gun uh and of course the jetpack so they can just fly around because normal human beings are not used to jetpacks just flying around in their small isolated country town uh so yeah, basically Cobra is staging an alien invasion uh, to, to freak out the poor country folk with the Condor Z-25, Dr. Mindbender, and some Targats. That's the idea I had for this one. So now that I've kind of laid it out there, the idea of what I was thinking about, and, and, and my thought was if I was a kid with access to whatever G.I. Joe toys I needed, what scenario might I play out to do something like this? Uh, Christian, with with the very apparently loose uh, outline that I sent you guys, what what did you come up with? All right, so I came up with Operation Survival. So Zartan has infiltrated the G.I. Joes and is imitating General Hawk. And he is sending Outback, Tunnel Rat, Taurus, and Lowlight on a special weekend to an island to practice their survival training. Little do they know that Cobra has filled this island with all kinds of horror monstrosities, like failed genetic experiments in the process of trying to create Serpentor. So just think an island full of just mindless, bodies like the serpentor mudman thing exactly that just they want to kill that's all there is to it it's serpentor park this is this is taking place on (laughs) isla nublar right so i didn't actually pick a vehicle because i kept thinking well that's going to give their location away and it gives them an escape route so zartan's whole thing is flying them into this island parachuting them down but little does zartan know ambush was already suspecting something was going on so he hid on the chopper with the other guys and parachutes down with them so we have outback ambush tunnel rat taurus and lowlight trying to survive on this island full of genetic freaks um, until they can figure out a way to contact the Joes and get rescued. Or find the like boathouse in a maintenance shed that's right. surely somewhere around there is a there is a cobra station on that island. Sure, so of course, they could of absolutely get there and take over. And of course, something goes wrong in the Cobra station. And the Serpentor mutants start getting in there, too. And and in my head, I kept seeing just all the, you know, Taurus is my cannon fodder. He may, no! or, <laughs> he, he may or may not die. But when I was putting this team together, I was thinking in terms of if this was Friday the 13th, what Joes would fit what roles and... Taurus is the one who is going to run headstrong. He's the into, cocky, cocky right, like He's going to be the one in that moment when all chips are down and they're thinking, 
you know, low light is out of bullets. His he's just stuck up in the tree. Like I, I can't get down or they're going to kill me. Taurus is the one that's going to run through those clones, taking them down, trying to go as much as I hate saying this Sergeant slaughter on them. <laughs> and, you know, he may not get back up, but his sacrifice will at least make it clear for the other guys. There, there will be a scene where he's fighting them all off and he's like, go get out of here. And they all run. But then yep. in the post credit scene, Taurus is like wiping Serpentor goo off of himself. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys, I caught up. Yeah. I love so. it. It's fantastic. A little Jurassic Park, a little island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. That was Island's another good horror setting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Noel, you built it up. I don't think I really went that far above and beyond based on what you guys have done. I mean, I, I, I came up with a little plot synopsis for something. So I will go ahead and you, you mentioned that uh, islands are a good spot for, you know, and we talked earlier about underwater places. Swamps are particularly frightening places. So my vehicle is going to be the Swamp Masher. Yes. My characters are muskrat gung-ho and sneak peek for the joes so this small joe team is scouting the everglades to monitor some suspicious dreadnought activity they have been seeing lately so they're taking some surveillance videos sneak peeks up there with his his big you know telescoping uh camera thing whatever it is um all right they've got some good information now they're going to leave but right when they're getting ready to leave, they see this large creature kind of swim by and they just think it's an alligator or maybe a large fish just swimming around in the swamp. So they go to start their swamp basher and nothing's it's not it's not starting. So Gung Ho has a little mechanical training. He's like, well, let me go get this thing fixed. He's down there checking the engine and all of a sudden something pops up out of the water and just slashes across his face. So uh, Muskrat, of course, takes it down gets at his gun and, and takes down this strange creature. They don't get much of a look at it, but it looks like it's some sort of like weird fish man. They finally get the thing started, but uh, Zartan has heard all this commotion and he sends out a couple of dreadnoughts on some swamp skiers to go track them down. Well, as the chase is, is going on, there's a couple more little things swimming out in front of the Joes and their, and their swamp masher. And uh, Muskrat has to take a hard right, smashes into a couple of the, the swamp skiers. And all of a sudden, the Joes and the Dreadnoughts are surrounded by just a dozen of these crazy swamp monster creatures that are like a hybrid human fish thing. Um, and they're having to fight these off together and, and team up as, uh, you know, as, as, as Joes and, and Dreadnoughts. Of course. And of course... This all turns out to be some crazy experiment that Cobra Commander and Dr. Mindbender had dreamed up one night and decided to put together these strange fish creatures and they couldn't control them. So they just let them loose in the Florida Everglades. Just dropped them <laughs> off in Zartan's backyard. Because what right. else are you going to do with Florida <laughs> other than... <laughs> so, uh, yes. I love it. So we've we've had aliens, we've had genetic monstrosities, we've had creature from the Black Lagoon, all fantastic elements of horror that would work very well with G.I. Joe, I think. 
Welcome to the final segment of our spooky Halloween episode for this year. Something I like to call, Don't Joe in there! (laughs) Uh, It's the easiest thing in the world. Hollywood does it all the time where you take an existing idea and you just plop a G.I. Joe skin onto it. As a matter of fact, the original Real American Hero comic was nothing more than that. So what I thought would be a lot of fun was to take a look at existing horror movies or franchises or characters and just slap a G.I. Joe skin on it and see what we could come up with. So what what horror goodies could work uh, sort of translated into G.I. Joe? Noel, why don't you kick this one off? So uh, I wanted to go a little bit outside of the box on this one. So hear me out. Alpine and Bazooka versus Evil. So, of course, this is a take on a reskin of, of the classic Canadian uh, comedy horror film, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This is our second Alan Tudyk reference of the night. Uh, after retiring from the Joe team, you have uh, Albert M. Pine and David Katzenbogen decide that they're going to go live the rest of their lives together in a, in a mountain cabin. So uh, they, they, been, they, they, build, they buy their dream house. Their first weekend in the dream house, of course, a group of young campers shows up and they're in the area for spring break vacation. Um, But it turns out that lead camper has a very strong anti-G.I. Joe sentiment about him. Uh, He says his father was a was was killed by the G.I. Joe team and uh, in some in some collateral damage issue. A uh, series of misunderstandings and unfortunate accidents, of course, these campers begin to start disappearing one by one. Um, that lead camper, the one who has the anti-G.I. Joe sentiment, starts going a little crazy. Turns out that his father was not just some civilian killed by collateral damage. His father was a viper, and this is why he has such anti Joe sentiment. Uh, that viper happened to have gone rogue and went on a killing spree. And Alpine was the one that brought him down all those years ago. <laughs> so, uh, yes, the uh, Alpine and bazooka, bazooka versus Evil would be my my reskin. It's uh, fantastic. I love it. Uh, I came up with, and this is actually, this concept popped into my head, and it's what led me to sort of thinking of this as an idea for a segment. One of, I think, the greatest horror movies of all time, could lend itself very well to being part of the gi joe universe and that is the mist oh. uh in in this one we now thomas jane could still play the main character i'd be fine with that he could be anybody from duke to flint to whoever uh but he's on leave goes back to his hometown weird things start happening uh but the bottom line is that this laboratory that opened the rift in reality that released all these horrifying creatures uh, is a cobra laboratory naturally Uh, and there would probably be a little more your main character would be a bit more proactive Uh, it wouldn't just take place in the grocery store he would probably make his way to this laboratory uh, and maybe along the way make some friends who knows uh, but the the concept of the secret laboratory that scientists are messing with things they don't understand, it's a classic Cobra premise. So eventually it would come out that it was, you know, Dr. Venom up there messing around with 
the wrong kinds of crystals and chemicals or whatever else it would take. Uh, but I, I, I think this is one that would make a very good Sunbow episode or feature length film, whatever the case may be. And I don't know if you guys, have you guys seen the mist? Yes. I've never seen the mist. Uh, one of the, I'm going to have to go check it out so I can, I imagine your GI Joe reskinning of it. You, I, I think it'll be very easy to do. Like as you watch it, you'll be like, yes, Thomas Jane could definitely be like chuckles on leave or something. Uh, one of the greatest and most horrifying endings of a movie ever, ever. I will warn yeah. everyone with that if you have not watched that movie, but it is a classic. And it's great in when when the, the director, Frank Darabont, he wanted to do a black and white version as well. And, you know, when he said that, I was like, oh, you artsy fartsy guy, <laughs> you people in your black and white movies. But then you watch the black and white version and you're like, oh, it's worth it's worth watching in the black and white i get it i understand why he wanted to do this because it lends it this otherworldly like twilight zone-esque feel that's just not there in the full color version i think this is the only frank darabont stephen king combination i've not seen yeah yeah because it's obviously the the other ones very widely received and embraced by the public all right so i did not actually go the movie route. When I was thinking of horror, my go-to for horror actually is Resident Evil. It is my most favorite gaming series of all time. I know it sounds a little cliche to think, oh, well, let's replace military organization with military organization. But this is where I, I would flip the script on it. So the first Resident Evil game, it is... Breaker is the only one who survives the train crash, finds his way to the mansion. It is not Cobra. It is a whole new organization that no one knows about yet. And what they have done in this genetic warfare. So besides all your standard um, Resident Evil monsters and creatures, they have developed these creatures that absorb sound. So in certain parts of the house or the mansion, when you're moving around, you can't hear anything going on around you. But Breaker's communication uh, helmet, the, the, it can jam it so that he can, you know, you have like static sound, but every so often noises yeah, will come yeah. through, right? Because still to me, the most frightening thing, and it doesn't matter how many times I play it, the first time with the Cerebus dogs, when you're just walking around and you haven't seen them yet, but you hear like that pitter patter yeah. of their feet and you're just like, oh my God, oh my, what, what, where's it? And you're just that anticipation builds. So he's trying to figure out what is going on and all he's armed with is his pistol and then obviously his communication backpack and the giant gatling gun from the ram (laughs) 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 so so yeah so as you move around the different levels uh like i said at, at some points you know there is no sound whatsoever the other people you encounter can't hear you you can't hear them but every so often you get these these blips um, of monster noises or 
scratching sounds, just stuff to build that sense of dread. That's it's brilliant because you you go into certain areas, and when you realize there's no sound, you would get so tense because you know that jump scare. It's right. going to happen. You're going to get that. Is it coming from behind you? Is yeah. it coming from beside you? You would have no clue. Yeah. And you don't typically think of Breaker as a frontline fighting Joe. Right. He's not a big tough guy. It's not like you're walking around as Roadblock or Gung Ho all like, right. oh, this guy can handle anything. He it's doesn't even have a gun. Well, he would in this. He, he would in this. Right. He, he does a pistol. But, then, but yeah, you know, you're he right. still gets to find all the other weapons, just like you would in the game as you go along. Oh, maybe, maybe he starts out and doesn't have any kind of pistol at all, and oh, you just very have true. to avoid things. Because when until... you start the game, you do only have the knife. Yeah, yeah. So I think he starts off with nothing. Yeah, and good then point. you you have to just avoid things for a while run away <laughs> oh i love it that's great i would play that game in a second I, I but your your idea with the sound is fantastic because that's sound in video games has become such a especially survival horror games mm-hmm. has become such a critical component and you know now that we're all sitting in the middle of really nice surround sound systems and like you get the full effect of or you know vr if if you've gone that far into it but like you get the full effect of creepy noises coming from the rear channels and stuff uh playing playing the resident evil 2 remake a couple of years ago when mr x starts coming and your subwoofer mm-hmm. starts that boo, 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 <laughs> oh my gosh that stuff's terrifying so to imagine a complete absence of sound and the level of tension that that would create waiting for the sound like you hate that it's silent but you know that when you can hear again, it's just going to be bad news. Exactly. That's fantastic. I love it. I, I hope you haven't just given away a million dollar idea to somebody <laughs> out there listening. Copyright 2021. Yeah. That's right. That's, I think that's all you have to do. Christian, just say copyright yeah. 2021. Right. And you're good to go. I do not give you consent yes, to take that, my game. Well, and now you have to now you have to uh, screenshot a picture of that and put it on Instagram, right? Yeah, and then then you'll be covered. That's official. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was don't show in there. Now it's time to wrap this thing up. Welcome to Knowing is Half the Babble, where we each get a little bit of time to ramble about anything that has caught our fancy. Christian, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so uh, my fun rabbit hole for the last month kind of kicked off at DragonCon when I got to meet this really awesome, fun school Joe Windfall. (laughs) Which led me to looking up more fun school stuff online. Uh, who, in case listeners don't know, Fun School uh, had like the Joe licenses for like over in India. Um, anyway, so as I like to do, I was looking for custom, looking up custom figures, and somebody had this Superman figure that was made out of GI Joe parts, <laughs> and they and they said, you know, Fun School 
character. And so I start, I'm looking that up and sure enough, it's a real character. I feel like it deserves a whole segment on its own. What thrilled me, and this ties back into an, uh, one of our earlier episodes for Noel, was that Fun School also re- re- was releasing the DC animated figures with G.I. Joe vehicles redecoed to fit that character. <laughs> so there is a animated Superman action figure from like the late 90s who comes packaged with a red and blue cobra claw with the big S symbol. And, and these it. are not compatible scale wise. No, not at all. Not at all. Superman, it cannot fit on his back. In fact, in the package, he is standing on top of it. So it's not even like the vehicle is beside. So he rides on top of it like it's some kind of hoverboard. Um, I'd just like to throw this out there real quick. I have always said if I was Superman, uh, I would fly just standing straight up. Like I wouldn't because he doesn't his not he's not aerodynamic. Like that's not why he flies. He flies because of some weird gravitational superpower. So why not just fly around standing straight up in the air? <laughs> well, they took your idea. Um, so yeah, so that led me down this, this uh, like I said, this rabbit hole of uh, there's a Batman one that comes with a redecoed G.I. Joe stiletto. Uh, so that is my babble for this week. And listeners, let us know. Reach out. Twitter, Instagram, let us know if you would like us to do a deeper dive into the fun school only uh, Joe characters. Yeah, that could definitely because there be a are quite a month. few, actually. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Mine, this goes to the review of Grunt, the new retro series Grunt uh, that I put up on the Needless Things YouTube channel this week. Hasbro. And this is going to be hard for me for two reasons. One, I like to stay positive. We like to have fun on this show and and try and look at things in the best possible light. Uh, We don't get too negative too often. Uh, And also, it's going to be difficult for me to refrain from using profanity. But Hasbro, dear Hasbro, who we love so much for having G.I. Joe stuff, for making G.I. Joe stuff, getting it back onto the market, you morons! Stop putting stamps on the thighs of your action (laughs) figures. I review this grunt figure. I get it out of the package, and there's this gigantic ID stamp on the inside front of his right thigh, visible, just completely visible from the front of the figure standing up. If he's standing there, you can see this stupid stamp in like yellow. It's not even subtle. It's ridiculous. What idiot, what moron thought that that was acceptable to put that massive stamp. It goes from crotch to knee. It's huge. And it, it ruins the figure. And the thing is, this figure is fantastic. This grunt figure from the boots to the trousers to the shirt to the web gear, everything about him looks great. Maybe his lips are dolled up a little much, but that's okay. That's a personal choice. But this giant stamp on his thigh is ridiculous. And it's on all of the new retro series figures. It's just 
uh, like on the Cobras, it's more towards the back of the thigh. So it's still an egregious offense, but it's not visible when the figure is just standing there. But on grunts, it's just like right up there at the front. It's horrible, infuriating, dumb, dumb, stupid decision. That's all I got. I agree. <laughs> it, it's heinous. It's horrible. Put it there on are their ways butt. to put it on their butts, it, but like they did like... in the eighties. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or or the if bottom of to, the feet. If you have to put it on the thigh, put it on the back of the thigh. But but it's that's the problem though is it's not part of the sculpt. It's a stamp. It's a print. So it's this different color that no matter where you put it, it basically ruins the figure. So they need to figure out a different way to to do that. It's just horrible. And again, the grunt figure is fantastic, so it's mm -hmm. even more infuriating. All right. I'm spent. <laughs> Noel. I'll, I'll make mine super simple and easy. I got another run-in at the, at the book nook on, uh, over in, uh, in Atlanta, and I found a G.I. Joe camping set, which uh, I'll, Look I'll at snap that a photo tiny of. little canteen. This is one of many uh, licensed G.I. Joe products from the 80s. This one came out in 1986, which actually was a very thin year, at least based on what Yojo has listed for licensed G.I. Joe, not toys as they call them. Right, right. This was licensed to Nesta is the name of the company. And I got it for the low price of $5.99. Wow. The book Still sealed in its package. It has a knife that is like smaller than a butter knife that you would use <laughs> at home a flashlight that actually does take batteries so it is a working flashlight a canteen a whistle uh which is which is comedically oversized based <laughs> compared to everything Huge. else which is comedically undersized <laughs> and a compass um so uh yeah i'm i'm kind of obsessed with just finding just little things like this that i, I never had as a kid but they're not really G.I. Joe toys. They don't fit with my regular stuff, but they're just kind of fun things to have. I one of, my, one of the things that I do remember having as a kid was I had a G.I. Joe toothpaste dispenser and, and electric toothbrush. Oh, um, wow. So that it was, it looked like a little, a little howitzer and it, it had a, you know, a couple of little barrels on it and that you open it up, you put your toothpaste tube in it, and it had a little wheel that you rolled down that squirted the toothpaste down onto your toothbrush, and it came paired with an electric toothbrush. Uh, the toothpaste dispenser did not work uh, <laughs> unless you had, like, the little trial size bottles of toothpaste. I learned this in my youth, that the, all the, my Aquafresh was too large to put in it. Um, but the, the, the electric toothbrush I did use for quite some time uh, back in the day. So uh, if I if I can find, I, I think I still have part of that somewhere in a box somewhere, but if I can find like one of those, um, it, you know, at some yard sale or somebody who's, you know, selling stuff at a convention, I think I'll definitely have to get the toothpaste dispenser again because that one was definitely fun. So stuff like that has always just been, I, I'll, sometimes I'll, do i'll jump through hoops to get my hands on some little silly little licensed product more than an actual official toy sometimes yeah i love that stuff i mean the obviously the toys are great and we'll always collect those but it feels extra special to find some kind of weird like 
licensed item. That's why a few years ago I bought a uh, an unopened unopened pack of G.I. Joe Sergeant Slaughter birthday invitations. <laughs> because I was like, this is great. I love this weirdness. Like and what a strange you, thing to have. And I will be very disappointed if I don't get one of those in the mail one day inviting is <laughs> an invitation to your next birthday party. That, 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 that'll be for our, our next live event. We will yes. be inviting everyone to Noel's Pillow Fort campsite. <laughs> You know, actually, that's uh, I might violate some copyright and do copies of, of one of the invitations and actually do something with those that that would be a lot of fun to do mm. for some kind of live event if we figure anything out. Uh, all right, you guys. Well, I think that's all we've got for this month. Uh, music is by Andy Samford of electricminnowmusic.com. Uh, once again, please do follow us on instagram at audible interlude podcast on twitter at gi joe audible if you have any thoughts about the show this month please share them with us we'd love to hear them uh you can find the audible interlude podcast the first friday of every month wherever you get your podcasts uh you guys that's all we got yo joe cobra Spooky, spooky, spooky. <laughs> You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.